0: I want us to begin by bringing to mind a situation, two situations actually. Firstly, I want you to bring to mind a situation where you felt like a real insider, that you were part of a a crowd that was marked off and special. How did that make you feel? What are the things that you thought in those circumstances? Situation number two is the exact opposite. Can you think of a time in your life when you really felt like someone who was on the outside, like someone who was cut off or shut out. How did that make you feel? Presumably, when you were on the inside, you felt something special. You felt privileged. You perhaps felt a sense of um, superiority. I don't know, how did you feel? Likewise, when you're on the outside, it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination for me to assume that you felt pretty rotten. That there was an element of jealousy, uh, disappointment, frustration with not having access or not being included in that particular group. Today, as we carry on looking at Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus, which we studied as a church in our home groups, our rooted groups, the last couple of months, we're going to be tackling a passage which speaks about two groups, those on the outside ...and those on the inside, and how Christ has a plan to bring all together. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, and you could read and reflect on the whole passage... ...but I'm just going to read the first five verses, and then a few verses from the second half. Ephesians chapter 2 begins this way. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world... According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the disobedient, we all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thought. We were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ even though, We were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. And then a little bit further on, verse 14, he picks up. For he, speaking of Jesus, is our peace. It is him who has made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. A time in my life which actually um, sort of encompasses both of those senses, those feelings, was when I had children, first of all, when they were little and when they were in car seats, and I would go to the supermarket, I would go to Tesco's, and I had those special parent and children spaces right by the door. Ah, what a wonderful time that was. Didn't have to sort of look and check to see uh, where free spaces were. Didn't need to worry about the weather and how wet I was going to get rushing into the store. Just a big reserved parking spot right there by the entrance. Made me feel special. Made me feel lucky and privileged. But then, of course, there came a time when the kids were too big for me to genuinely keep using those spaces. They weren't in kids seats. I wasn't getting a pram out of the boot. There was none of that. There was just (laughs) a couple of older kids with me along for the ride. And you know, in those times, I started to get a little bit jealous, a little bit frustrated, having parked all the way at the back of the car park, the, the only free spot we could find, and having to march our way down through the wind, through the wet, through the cold, past these hallowed spaces. When I was an insider, it felt wonderful. It felt great. And when I was an outsider, it felt awful. It felt frustrating. I still wanted to be a part of that club, even if I was grateful not to have two babies to carry along with me. You know, the background to Ephesians chapter 2, the background to the whole letter of Ephesians, is that two groups existed. Paul, writing from the point of view of a Jew, an Israelite, writing to a bunch of folks you'd call Gentiles, essentially anyone else that wasn't a Jew. And the background is this um, reality that we discover in the Old Testament, that God was a God who had called a certain group, a certain people, out of the darkness called them out of slavery in Egypt and created for himself a special nation, a special group, the Israelites, that he had continued throughout history to reveal himself in a special way to these people. He gave them laws, he gave them commands, he gave them the tabernacle and later the temple. At times and in ways he gave his spirit to work and act and to speak through them. He related to them in a different way to the nations around them. He related to these people in particular in a special way. And then there is everyone else. Everyone else on the outside. Not to say nobody had the opportunity to know God or to relate to God. And yet there was this grace. There was this favour given to a people in particular. The Israelites. Later we called them the Jews who could relate to God. And so you see, the background to the letter to the Ephesians is of two groups. The haves, those who claim to know God, those who claim to have access to God through the law, through the prophets, through their ancestry and the favor that has been shown through generations, and the have-nots, those who were far away. Those who didn't have that same history, that same knowledge, that same way, of approaching God and relating to him. There are two groups, the haves and the have-nots. And even there, at the start of chapters two, that you can see that division, Paul speaks directly to the Ephesians. Verse one, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. This is something that he's saying is true for them. Likewise, in verse three, he says we too, So now he's speaking about himself and his fellow Jews. And what he does, even in highlighting those two groups, is actually to say that really, regardless, there is one predicament. There were two that find themselves in the same situation. In verses 1 and 2, he begins to describe the things which have come to enslave not just the Jews and the Gentiles, but all of humanity. That there is the world out there with its message, with its um, priorities, with its passions and goals. That speaks to people inside and outside the Jewish faith. And controls them and tempts them and leads them away from God. There's the world and there's the accuser, he says as well. The one who would come and twist the truth. Insert lies and lead people away, whether they are outside, further away or on the inside, drag them out from relationship with God. And then at last he admits that ourselves, we're slaves to ourselves and our own desires, our own inclination and nature, which leads us away from the Heavenly Father. And he says that even though these two groups exist, Jews on the inside, Gentiles on the outside, there is one result. That all find themselves in this same predicament, the same situation where we are dead, he says, in our trespasses and sins. That we are shut off, cut off from the source of life, God himself. And that means we find ourselves in a place of spiritual death that leads to physical death and when you think about that that means that he is painting one picture for two groups of all humanity and its prospects which are pretty bleak it's it's not a fun it's not a cheery it's not a sticker verse on a wall it's not a self help kind of instagram encouragement is it it's bleak Sometimes we can act and we can think, like, in order to sort ourselves out or even to sort our world out, all we need to do is to make the right decisions, choose the right individuals to lead us in the right direction, and we'll figure it out ourselves. But Paul is far more brutal in his assessment than that. I'd say Paul is far more honest in his assessment than that. He calls a spade a spade, who we all really are and the sorts of lives that come out of it. They're lives that lead ultimately to death, two groups but one predicament, one humanity equal in their desperate need before God. Happily, Paul's assessment of humanity, of the common theme that flows between those two groups, isn't his conclusion. Paul goes on to speak about where the story goes next and it's wonderful. But God, God who is rich in mercy, mercy being when what is deserved is withheld, that the just punishment, the just consequences of our nature and our actions withheld, that God doesn't treat us as we deserve. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, has made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. The resurrection has already been spoken about in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Back in chapter 1, he's speaking about the same power that was at work, rising Jesus from the dead, conquering, defeating death in him, can be and is at work in believers. And now here he's saying, look, you dead folks are made alive through faith in Jesus. The same spirit that operated in him to raise him up from the dead can be at work in you, making you alive rather than dead. There were two. There was one predicament. And Paul says that there is one solution offered for all that there aren't two ways to come to Christ, even though we might think of ourselves as those who have and have not in certain and uh, different ways. That having this common issue, this common problem, Jesus had come to make one way, and one way only, to be redeemed, to be saved, to find life, and to know the Father. That's why, Paul can write what he writes later on in the chapter. Verses 14 to 18, let me read it again. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That there isn't the haves and the have-nots anymore. There isn't those who have some sort of right or have some historical claim to access to God. There is simply one humanity. In his flesh, Jesus made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create from the two one. That he might reconcile both to God in his own body through the cross, by which he has put the hostility to death. He has come, and he has preached the same good news of peace to those who are far away the have nots, and peace to those who are near the have. For through him, through Jesus, through this one way, this one gateway and entrance, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I love that imagery. I love that picture. It jumped out at me when we were studying Ephesians, that Jesus came preaching peace to those who are both near and those far. Those those who have and those who have not. The same one coming, offering the same invitation so that the two could become one. And that conclusion, glorious conclusion, through him, through Christ Jesus, we both, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. Not those who get by privilege, Or circumstance to park near. Or those who are forced to go and park away. But access freely for all. I love it because by making this new way to relate to God. Not only does Christ fix the relationship uh, that was broken by our following the world and the accuser and our selfish selves. But he creates an even playing field for all people. Regardless of heritage so that we can all Paul is saying that that us and them thing has been done away with, and now we can all find the same peace before God. When we all get to use the same entrance, there's no separation that exists inside. You see, Jesus here is presented to us as a lifesaver, the one who created is recreating. Jesus here is presented as the great gatherer, finding all those who, from wherever they started, have fallen away, have wandered away, and brings them in. Jesus is presented as this way maker, so that all, genuinely all, can come to the Father through him. There isn't one rule for me and another for thee. In Jesus, it really is one for all, and so now all are truly one. So what does that mean for us today? What, how, what should we change in our thinking or our living as we go out or go on today? Well, I guess the first thing to say is don't stand on the outside looking in. I'm sure that there will be people listening to this, watching this, who still feel themselves part of the outside crowd still find themselves in that place of rebellion and rejection, of following the world and the lies and selfishness, and so are, rightly, under the judgment of God. Don't stand on the outside looking in, but come on in where a space, a spot, a place has been reserved and prepared for you. You know, you can be part of the family of God, not because you are a wonderful person, not because you are inherently deserving of it, not because your parents went to church or your grandparents were members at so-and-so, not because you have helped us, but because of what Christ has done in his death for us, in his resurrection before us, in his ascension above us and all others. Jesus has made a way. So there is no need for anyone to stand on the outside looking in. Jesus invites us all, each and every one, to come. He speaks to dead people, come alive. So don't stand on the outside looking in, wondering what could be. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and find the peace that is promised through him. Likewise, don't stand on the inside looking out. That's a very real problem and a danger for many of us who have found faith. That sometimes we can become uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with the idea of certain other types of people or certain people with particular backgrounds or whatever it is coming in and having an equal footing with us. We sort of begin to believe the lie that we're supposed to be on the inside. That somehow it's right and it makes sense for us to be on the inside. Don't stand on the inside looking out and saying, you don't belong here, but I do. No, it is all of mercy. It is because of God's rich grace that any of us get to come in. Sometimes we can say on the inside looking out. You can be a part of it, but only if you sort X or Y or Z out. And we see in passages like this that it is utter nonsense. You are saved, says Paul, by grace. He has made one way for all and it is through his life, his death, his resurrection. You know, Jesus had some pretty strong warnings himself against adding extra burdens onto folks. Things that they would have to do, or things that they would have to respond to and keep before or after. Jesus has serious warnings for those of us who would want to add burdens on to others. No, just as those on the outside need to stop looking in and just come, those of us on the inside also have to stop looking out and, in whatever way we do, telling people that they belong out there. Or that they need to do something other than come to Christ in order to be found on the inside. Don't stand on the outside looking in. And certainly don't stand on the inside looking out in (laughs) judgement. Sort of with our hands up on the door. Do you know I think one of the most important things we can do. Is to remember the before and the after for ourselves. Because what we tend to do is focus on one and neglect the other. Sometimes we can actually just dwell on our past. Just dwell on where it is that Christ has saved us from. And we can ignore what he has brought us into. We can still think of ourselves, act in our lives as if we're still on the outside. As if we're still dead in our trespasses and sin. And we forget the glorious truth that Jesus has raised us to life. Later in chapter 2, he's going to speak about not just lifting us up to that alive position, but lifting us up and seating us with Christ in the highest places. The transformation couldn't be bigger, and it is all of him. But sometimes we dwell on the past, and we forget the present. Likewise, we we can dwell on the present and forget the past. And we can lose that sense of glory and that sense of wonder of what Christ has truly accomplished. That if we are here on the inside, if we have been brought into a relationship with the Father, if we at last have peace with him and each other, it is only because of where he has brought us from. We need balance, dear brothers and sisters. We need to remember where we've come from and where he has brought us to. So I ask you the question this morning, where do you lie on that scale, on that spectrum? Are you more prone to dwell on where you've come from? Well then turn and recognise and relish where Christ has brought you to. Are you more likely to dwell on where you are now? Don't forget what Jesus has done for you, otherwise you might stand in judgment over those on the outside who have yet to make their way in through Christ. For those of us who want to Revel in the fullness of what Jesus has done. We need to know where he has taken us from and where he has brought us to. And the last thing I would say this morning is this. When we stop seeing ourselves on the inside as somehow being superior or worthy, Stop seeing those on the outside as those who need to be kept away or those who need to change themselves up, polish themselves up in order to come in. When we stop those nonsense things, then unity begins to exist. Peace begins to exist between God's people. The dividing lines that we might draw can be scrubbed away and we remember that we have all come, we all only come through Jesus. And then glorious peace and unity in the church can exist. That, says Paul in his letter to the believers in Ephesus, is one of the reasons Jesus came. So that we might find forgiveness, that we might be transformed, that we might find relationship with the Father. But so too, in uniting the two, the haves and the haves not, into one person's God glory, God's wisdom might be proclaimed to all of creation. heavenly creation and the earthly creation. That God's wonderful grace and love might be on display because folks who would divide themselves over croissants by breakfast become one in Jesus. So pursue peace, pursue unity with one another. When we see the direction that we have come in and the direction others have come in then all we can do, instead of squabble or fight, is give glory and praise to him. So don't stand on the outside looking in. Don't stand on the inside looking out. Rather, look and see where Christ has taken us from and to. Find yourself in that place. Revel in it and revel in it together, dear brothers and sisters. Because that is the difference that Jesus makes. One for all and in him all one.